Hello and welcome to Strat News Global. I am Subhrat Nanda and joining me is James Crabtree, faculty member at Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy, Singapore, to talk about Indo-Pacific and the UK's tilt towards the region. Professor Crabtree, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me. How should Britain's focus on the Indo-Pacific be looked at? Is it trade, especially after Brexit, or is there something else as well? So we're talking about this because the British government has just published what's called the Integrated Review, which has been been going on for five years. And it's a document which tries to set out a strategy for Britain's role in the world. Um, It did this because in the aftermath of leaving the European Union in particular, there was a sense that Britain had lost its direction. It didn't quite know what it wanted to do with the resources that it had. And so this document is trying to answer this in all sorts of ways. And one big element of that has been what is called the the tilt to the Indo-Pacific. So the Americans had the Asia pivot. And there have been various other countries that have tried to do this. And the UK is now trying to play a greater role in Asia as Asia becomes more economically and diplomatically important. And the answer to your question is both. The UK wants both to get a bigger slice of the Asian economic pie, and it also wants to play a larger role uh, in Asian security and diplomatic affairs as they become more important in an era of rising great power competition. Can it be a strategic player in the region? Well, that's the the million pound question. The UK used to have a big role in Asia, albeit a rather checkered one, because it was at first a colonial power and then a post-colonial power. But starting with the Suez crisis in the 1950s and then spooling forward a decade, Britain decided it didn't have the money to continue to play a big role around Asia of the sort that the United States plays all around the region, that Britain no longer was a world power and it would restrict itself to its own neighborhood. Now, under Boris Johnson, Britain is trying to reverse that. It's saying, actually, we do have a role that we can play uh, in Asia, that after leaving the European Union, we, for instance, want to be part of Asian trade deals like the, the CPTPP trade deal. And we also want to play a part, maybe not a big part, but some part in the the security uh, decisions that are taken around Asia. Whether or not the UK can pull this off is another question. Some countries are rightly skeptical of whether or not a European country like Britain or France should be playing much of a role in Asia, because clearly they're not an Asian country. And so what business do they have here? And then others are skeptical, you know, do they have the money, the resources to do anything useful? And so that's what the British government is trying to persuade people of, that it does have uh, something useful to offer as a, as a partner in, in Asia, and that therefore it, it should rightly be able to play that kind of role. China's state-run Global Times has called the UK move immature, saying it exposes over-optimism of its international status and downgrades Britain as a quote-unquote rody of the US. Is it a correct assessment? I think it's a little bit unfair, uh, I think you'd say. So China doesn't much like uh, other countries coming and, and, in a sense, playing a role in challenging China. So really, what all of the countries who outside of the region who want to have a greater role in the, the Indo-Pacific, part of what is on their mind is China. So that's true with European countries like uh, 
uh, like France or Germany or Britain. It's also true to some extent with India itself and, and why India has signed up enthusiastically to the, the concept of the Indo-Pacific. This wider region is because of China. So China doesn't like that very much. And therefore, uh, it wants to say that countries that aren't geographically located in Asia, including the United States, should stick to their own business and, and let Asian countries, particularly China, take decisions for the region. China it will find some support for that view. There are plenty of people who, who think that, which is why countries like the UK have a job on their hands to, to persuade people that they do have a role to play. But I think from the, the point of view of a country like Britain, they feel that as the rules of the road, the rules of the world are increasingly set in Asia, then they want to play a part in shaping those rules. And that should feel familiar to an audience in a country like India, because one of the arguments that India has always made is that as it becomes a more important power in the world, then it too should have a say in the rules that affect it, rules that are set in the G7 or at the United Nations. And so I think that's the kind of argument a country like Britain has to make. Firstly, that it can be useful, that, that there are things that it as a relatively rich, technologically advanced country can do that will be helpful to countries in Asia, but also that, that countries have the, you know, have the right to pitch in to global rules. And as those global rules are increasingly set in Asia, then other countries from outside Asia are going to want to have a say in that. Boris Johnson is due to visit India late next month. Do you see this coming up in discussions with Prime Minister Modi? Yes, I mean, the biggest country in the tilt, the document, uh, is probably India, arguably. I mean, the United States is Britain's most important security relationship. But if you read the document, then it's clear that India is the main country that Britain wants to build a better relationship with, and that Britain sees that it has an unusual opportunity to build a closer partnership with India, because both countries are democracies, both countries have English as one of their major languages, they have a common heritage, albeit a sometimes difficult one. And so the British are very optimistic they uh, can build a better relationship with India. Whether India wants to build a better relationship with Britain in the same way isn't clear. I, I mean, India, I think, also wants to have a good relationship with France and Germany and Saudi Arabia and Russia. And, you know, so maybe India doesn't see it in quite the same way. And then there's also a tension in the British position, because in this document, Britain also wants to be seen as a champion for for openness and democracy. And there are some people in Britain who look at the political direction in India and think that under Prime Minister Narendra Modi, it's not, although it's a, a democracy, it's not always going in the same direction. It's not becoming a, a Western liberal country. And so there are there, you know, there are some difficult conversations to be had about about values. But certainly Britain is very keen on building a stronger trading relationship with India and also working with India and other partners in Asia to try and balance the rise of China. So that th those are two big parts of what the British government are trying to achieve. The Global Britain Vision document talks about China as a beneficial trade partner, but the biggest state-based threat to the UK's economic security. Is it muddled messaging or can these contradictions be reconciled? I think there's a definitely a tension there. And it is a difficult one to manage. So on the one hand, Britain is very close to the United States. The United States has become 
much more hawkish on China. India has become much more hawkish on China, and Britain has as well. Over the last couple of years, um, Britain has become much more skeptical of China. On the other hand, Britain's position is complicated because it has just left the European Union. It wants to do more trade with Asia, and China is Asia's largest economy, and it's still going to be the most important growth engine of Asia for the foreseeable future. And so Britain is trying to walk a very fine line on the one hand, trying to push back about, about the things related to China's rise that it sees as being problematic. On the other hand, it still wants to do business with China. Whether or not it's going to be able to continue to walk that fine line, or whether, as you suggest, its tension basically becomes a much bigger problem, remains to be seen. But clearly, Boris Johnson, the prime minister, is going to be under pressure from America to be much harder on China. He's also going to be under pressure from uh, politicians in his own political party who increasingly are very hawkish on on China and the right wing of his 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 part his um his party. So he's going to face quite a lot of competition, uh, rather quite a lot of pressure to uh, to take a harder line on China. And so it will be interesting to watch how he tries to achieve this balance. Just moving aside, we recently had had the first Quad summit with convergence on a free and open Indo-Pacific. Then the US 2 plus 2 with Japan and South Korea. And on Thursday, you have the first high-level engagement between the Biden administration and China. Are these disjointed events or is there a plan in place? I don't think this tells you very much about Britain, but I think it tells you a lot about America. I think yeah. it tells you that America is, this sounds like something Joe Biden would say. So Joe Biden, as president, said America is back. But actually, this does tell you that America is back in the sense that it has returned to a different kind of American diplomacy, a more traditional kind of American diplomacy. So the Quad initiative, although India played a very, very important role, and in many ways is the most important nation in the Quad uh, in this initiative about vaccines, because India was the one who has the manufacturing capacity to make the vaccines that came out of the, the Quad leaders meeting last week. But really, I think it was the Americans that pushed this and brought it together. And the kind of diplomacy that you have seen over recent weeks and over the next week is a function of the way that the Biden White House is trying to grip the problems that it faces in a way that the Trump White House never did. So this sequence of events, which actually started a couple of weeks ago with the G7 leaders call and then a few other meetings, is a function of America returning to its position as a leader within the international community trying to take steps that are going to make life more difficult for China and build new ties between countries like India, Australia, Japan, and potentially countries like the United Kingdom, which I think also would like to play a role, um, albeit perhaps a smaller one, uh, in something like the Quad grouping. Do you see anything concrete coming out of this meeting? between the U.S. and China? When we talk about the U.S. and China, we, we often talk about the balance between competition and cooperation. There are going to be areas where the U.S. and China compete, and there are going to be areas where they need to cooperate, like climate change or the pandemic. I would be quite surprised if coming out of this initial meeting uh, between uh, with the foreign minister, if there were uh, some uh, big positive steps something like a, a second round trade deal or some kind of US-China deal on the pandemic or vaccines or something of that sort. I, I think 
this initial meeting is probably going to be mostly about signaling toughness to domestic audiences. But you never know. You never know. On both sides, I think there is the capacity to do something imaginative. The Chinese side, I, I think, is keen to find a way to come to a, a different relationship with the US, which is less combative in the short term and might make overtures. On the other hand, the United States does need to work with China if it's going to achieve one of its most important objectives, which is to make progress on climate change. And so the question, I suppose, is does that happen now or does that happen later down the road in some other way? So yes, I, I nobody ever knows really what's going to happen. I'd be quite surprised if there was some very positive big news that came out of this meeting. I think it's more likely to be a kind of tense initial stage of views and the precursor to beginning the two nations talking to one another again after all of the awkwardness of the Trump years. On that note, Professor, thanks very much for your time. Very good. Thank you so much. Thank you.